what's going on everybody welcome to another edition of the let's talk knicks podcast i am your host maxwell ogden and for those who don't know me i am the site expert over at daily knicks on the fan-sided network if you can please give us a follow over at daily knicks fs you can follow me at maxwell ogden and of course you can follow this podcast at talk nyk podcast if you are on twitter if you have a chance please give us all a follow greatly appreciate that now we're getting into something today that is twofold number one we're going to preview this Knicks Nets game and I guess threefold because number two we're going to talk about that Pelican disaster and number three we're going to remind ourselves of the perspective of what's really happening here of what we all need to remember now for those who missed it yesterday, the New York Knicks blew a 19-point third-quarter lead, ended up losing an overtime to basically Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and the New Orleans Pelicans, I suppose, 123-118. to 118. Anthony Davis was ridiculous, eight, 48 points, 17 rebounds, 4 steals, 3 blocks. Uh, Drew Holiday had 31 points, was incredibly clutch. And DeMarcus Cousins, even though he only had 15 points on 4 of 16 shooting, credit to Ennis Cantor. He'd played an outstanding game yesterday. But Cousins still had 16 rebounds, 5 assists, 7 steals, and 3 blocks. That's called knowing how to make your impact when your shot isn't falling. On the Knicks side of things, not all bad. Jarrett Jack had another great game. 22 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, 3 steals. Tim Hardaway Jr. had... A phenomenal game, considering it was only a second game back, and just in general. 25 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals. Managed to play 33 minutes yesterday, which is very encouraging. It'll be interesting to see how much he plays today. But great to see that he's capable of playing 30-plus minutes already. And his cancer, as I said, a great game. 18 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks. KP flirted with 5x5 five five status. 25 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 5 steals, 2 blocks. Buried 4 threes. That's all fine and well. The offense was outstanding yesterday. 118 points, shot 47% from the field, made 12 threes, didn't get to the free throw line as much as you would like, but that's going to continue to be a flaw with this team just because of the fact that they don't really have a guy whose game is based on dribble penetration. Hardaway helps a lot in that regard. He did take 10 of the Knicks' 18 free throws, but you know, they don't really have a penetrating point guard right now. And everybody's down on Frank, but look, Frank is a guy who, and we'll get to this, but Frank is a guy who himself has stated he's never had any strength and conditioning training in his life until he came to the NBA. Give him some time to figure that out. Who knows? Maybe he'll evolve into a guy who can turn the corner, who can get around players, who can get to the rim. But fact remains, New York Knicks blew a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. They entered the fourth with a 14-point lead, I should say. Ended up going to overtime, ended up losing 123-118. An exciting game, a fun game if you're an objective viewer, but if you're a Knicks fan, this is just par for the course. The New York Knicks have a big lead, and they blow it. The New York Knicks are in a position to win the game, and they lose. This was their third overtime loss in the past five games. Three of their past four losses have come in overtime. And in theory, you say, okay, well, that's better than what was happening before when they were getting blown out. And that is true. It is progress. And that is some perspective to offer. But it's also, you know, look, I said it at the beginning of the year, I maintain it. The best thing that the New York Knicks can do is play close games where they're in them and they're competitive 
and also lose and get a draft pick. Now, I don't like losing. In the moment, I get into a deep depression just like everybody else. I have my concerns about certain things that are going on with this team. I don't think that it's perfect. I don't think that it's flawless. All I know is that when Anthony Davis is dropping 48 and 17, and let's be honest, it's not exactly like this is a rare occurrence with him. The guy's averaging 27 and 11 on the season. But when he's doing that, you know, you need to be able to answer. And right now, the reality of this team is simply, you know, Mark Berman of the New York Post, who I respect, wrote an article that I just kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like it crossed the line, starting to say, oh, well, they're losing because of Christoph's Porzingis. And in theory, that's not necessarily wrong. Um, but it, it it's looking at it in a vacuum instead of applying the context and broadening your viewpoint. The reality is the New York Knicks are losing close games because right now Christoph's Porzingis just doesn't really have the body and... Uh, you know, he's facing these new defenses. Put it like this. Jeff Hornacek yesterday had a great comment on when he was traded from the Phoenix Suns to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Jeff Hornacek's playing career, he was an all-star. He played both point guard and shooting guard. He was basically the modern NBA point guard, but in the 1980s and 1990s when... It was kind of frowned upon, but he and Kevin Johnson together led Phoenix to some significant success, some conference finals. He eventually went on to Utah, where he helped John Stockton and Carl Malone make back-to-back NBA finals. He was a big part of that equation. But he talked about when he was traded from the Phoenix Suns to the Philadelphia 76ers as a part of the trade that got Phoenix Charles Barkley. What happened when that occurred is he no longer had Kevin Johnson to share the wealth with and not only share the wealth but share the defensive attention so now everything that you used to do is met by a second defender it's something that takes time to adjust to when you go from being able to make your move on a guy get by them and get to the rim and know that only the big is left in the way you're able to look past that first defender or you're able to make your focus, I got to beat this first defender. That's the reality of going from number two to number one. When you're in number two, you get to focus on beating the guy who's on you. When you're in number one, you have to be able to look past the guy who's on you and focus on beating the other players. And that's what Christoph Porzingis is adjusting to right now. When you're playing a team like New Orleans where they throw Anthony Davis and then DeMarcus Cousins at you, not an easy thing to do and to KP's credit he had a great game they were a plus 11 when he was on the court also so it's not like he's the guy who lost the game it's just when you get into those crunch time situations and you need a bucket you need him to be able to get it and right now you know he's he's still figuring it out because he's improved significantly in the two games that Tim Hardaway has played I know it's only been two games but or was it two three games now two games yeah so Minnesota and New Orleans going crazy over here with how frustrating this whole process is. Forgive me. But Christoph Porzingis in the two games, yeah, he didn't shoot very well against Minnesota, but he played a very good all-around game. He buried three triples, you know, 10 rebounds, three blocks, two steals, got a couple of assists. Same thing yesterday. His shot was falling, 25 points, but, you know, 
Move the ball, three assists, five steals, two blocks. I mean, diving on the floor for loose balls, bearing four triples, you know. The confidence is stronger when you have a guy who could take pressure off of you like Hardaway because, A, Hardaway is constantly moving without the ball. B, Hardaway is a more than proficient three-point shooter. Even yesterday when he went two of ten, the fact that he took those ten threes put a lot of pressure on the defense where they knew, look, we can't step too far off of him. We can't really cheat off of Hardaway because there are two things that he can do that basically nobody else on the roster consistently combines. And those two things are as follows. If you step too far off of him, he is ready and willing to pull the trigger on a three-point shot. And even if he doesn't shoot the greatest percentage, he makes two and a half per game. So there's a good chance that he's going to make two or three on you. And that's six to nine points. That's something you can't let up as a defense. And you know it, so you have to be mindful of it. If you do cheat too deep off of Hardaway, which the Pelicans did a lot of yesterday, he's capable of taking you off the bounce, attacking the rim, driving, and either drawing contact or finishing. And as we saw yesterday, he consistently did that. That's why he had 10 free throw attempts. That's why he was 6 of 7 from the two-point range. So that's a lot of pressure off. But against the Pelicans, what was established is, well, now you got to continue to play both ends of the floor. And I'm not pinpointing Hardaway. I mean, he played a pretty solid defensive game. He's one more good, but could have done a lot more. Uh, same with Ian Clark and Darius Miller and guys like that. But when your opponent only makes nine threes in an overtime game and you allow 123 points, you got to kind of take a step back. Now, don't get me wrong. Anthony Davis going off is Anthony Davis going off. His fifth game with at least 45 points and 15 rebounds. So it's not like the Knicks or some team that somehow let this guy go off. It happens. You know, Ennis Cantor and KP did a great job on Cousins. But... Anthony Davis, there's just not really an answer when that guy's in a groove. In saying that, the key in those games that the Knicks are going to have to figure out is this. Number one, you can't test a guy like Anthony Davis and go, okay, go ahead, take that 18-footer. As Jeff Hornacek said, what, you think he's going to miss? But the big key is, look, if a guy's going to go off, sometimes there's just nothing you could do but contain him. You know, make sure it's 48 and not 60, as sad as that sounds it's just a reality in the nba when when the superstar is hot like anthony davis there's just not much that you're able to do try to foul as little as possible that's something they didn't really do a good job of yesterday try to force him into the most difficult shots possible without fouling and then just you know what just kind of got to hope for the best but what you have to do simultaneously is you have to make sure that if this guy is going off we're ensuring that nobody else is going off. If he beats us, he beats us, so be it. If we lose to one ridiculous performance, that is what it is. Sometimes you just got to tip your hat. But we have to make sure that nobody else on this team is going off. Now, they did a great job on Cousins in terms of limiting his scoring. But Drew Holiday going 12-19 from the field, especially in the clutch, wide open jumpers. It was just... It's things like that that get you frustrated. And now today, 3 p.m. start, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You got to show up. You got to show some heart. You got to show some character. I don't like using the word must win, but because, again, as I've said 
over and over again, the best possible thing for this team is building through the draft. Now, we could debate if that means that they should go ahead and get another top five pick and pool their resources to make that happen, or if they should do a Boston and try to keep winning and just keep compiling assets. It's a good debate. It's a solid debate. It makes a lot of sense on both ends, but that's not the point here. The point is seven-game road trip starting today, and your road game is a couple subway stops away from where you live against the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I get it. That overtime game took a lot out of you, and this is another matinee game, but yesterday was a matinee game. It ended around six-something. Maybe not even six. I don't, but I'm all over the place because I'm just a little frustrated because I'm seeing a lot of stuff that's just starting to bother me. And a lot of people saying, well, we need to start Frank right now. We need to bench Jeff Hornacek. We need to do this. We need to do that. Well, hold on. Need is a very strong word, first and foremost. And second of all, can we stop this damn fire the coach right now narrative? I know that Knicks fans aren't mindful of this. I know that Knicks fans in their mind have this idea that, well, why wouldn't they come here? This is an appealing job. You know what makes a job not appealing? You want to know what makes a job unappealing? You know what makes a job something that nobody wants to take? How about the fact that even if you subtract Kurt Rambis from this equation, the Knicks have had four coaches in seven years. And I'm rounding up. Because really it's four coaches in six years. Mike D'Antoni. I get it. You know, he lost the locker room. Carmelo didn't want to play power forward for him. And D'Antoni kept stressing that he should. And Carmelo didn't like that even though Carmelo went on to play power forward for Mike Woodson and have the best year of his career. But oh well. Fine. You don't like Dan Tony. He's fired. You get Mike Woodson 18 and 6 the rest of the way. You end up making the playoffs. 54 and 28 the next season. The best Knicks year in over 15 years really because even though you've had better postseason success, your better your best regular season since the mid 90s. First division title since the mid 90s. Then the next year you give up on basically everything that he was telling you to do. And then when you realize that your all-out isolation attack isn't working and abandoning defense isn't really working, you commit to him again, and then it's just too little too late. You dominate the final quarter of the season, but you were so bad during the first, what, three quarters of the season that you couldn't make the playoffs in a year where the eight seed won 38 games. Fired before he could redeem himself, but... When you play that poorly and you clearly quit on the system, heads roll, jobs are lost up top, and new regimes want to replace people, specifically at head coach. Now, Derek Fisher, he didn't even last two full seasons, and my opinion is it's his fault. When you're involved in off-the-court drama and you're the head coach and you're trying to get your players to commit to you, and your drama has to do with your romantic life, which is rumored to include women that your players have dated, well, it's a distraction. But still, three coaches gone. 
and now you're on your fourth. And that's not including Kurt Rambis. Let's be real. Four coaches, six years. That's what this basically is. Four coaches, six years. And now Jeff Hornacek, his first year, let's be honest, you can't suddenly change your stance now. We know whether you were Phil Jackson's supporter, detractor, or just wanted to see the Knicks do well. Let's be honest. Phil Jackson kind of undermined Jeff Hornacek. Last year wasn't really a Jeff Hornacek year. This is his first real year with the Knicks, and he's got a roster where he needs, if we're going to use that word, to play guys like Jarrett Jack at 34, a rookie point guard, and Michael Beasley big minutes, and we're saying fire him because you thought that this team was going to be good? Really? Don't get me wrong. I, I said at the beginning of the year this team has the raw talent to make the playoffs, but I also said they need to commit to defense before anything else. Jeff Hornacek has them as one of the 15 best defensive teams in the league. In other words, an average to above average team because they're above that 15 mark. And we're saying, well, you know, team building should happen within 43 games. Fire that guy. Really? Look, even if that's the right move, who the hell is coming to the New York Knicks knowing that they have half a season to turn this around or the fans will turn on them? Who the hell is coming to the New York Knicks knowing that Hey, if the team president does undermine you and does make it difficult for you and then the organization realizes, hey, you know what? We made a mistake. We should have let you do your thing. Here, do your thing. You have half a season to get that right or else they're going to go, eh, forget about the past. You're done. Jeff Hornacek led the Phoenix Suns to 48 wins in 2013-14 in a year where every team that made the playoffs in the West was right around 50 plus wins. What does that tell you? That means that that Western Conference dominated the NBA. There were some really good teams. It wasn't just like, oh, they were just beating each other and nobody was really good, so they all got all those wins. No, that was an incredible conference. And Phoenix, with Eric Bledsoe missing half the season due to an injury, starting guys like Channing Frye and Miles Plumlee, won 48 games. The next year, the Suns were on pace to make the playoffs when they blew it up. They were the 8th seed in the West when they blew it up at the trade deadline. Now, let's put context on what that means. What does that mean? Let's put the context on that season. That is the season, you know, when Ryan McDonough thought it would be a good idea to following Goran Dragic's all-NBA season, all-NBA, joining Steve Nash and Kevin Johnson as Suns point guards who are all-NBA. Going into his contract year when he just wants to negotiate an extension and he wants to stay here because he came back after being there before and leaving, comes back, he has an all-NBA year, leads the team to 48 wins, perfect fit in Hornacek system, the leader of that team, and you go, fine, you re-sign Eric Bledsoe, that's fine. I don't think that bothered Dragic because he realized, hey, we have some pretty good chemistry together. This is the system. But you also sign Isaiah Thomas which is basically slapping Goran Dragic in the face and going, hey, just so you know, you're going to play this season out and there isn't a chance in hell that we're going to re-sign you. We already have two point guards paying them a pretty decent amount of money under the salary cap at the time. Why would we sign a third one when we already know that all three of you can't be on the floor together? And even with all of that, 
with Dragic making it perfectly clear he didn't want to be there anymore, and why would he be? Jeff Hornacek still led that team to a record that had them on pace to make the playoffs. And not only did they trade Goran Dragic, but they traded Isaiah Thomas for no apparent reason and got nothing really in return for either of them. Some long-term assets, sure. But Jeff Hornacek got screwed, and Jeff Hornacek is respected around the NBA. Jeff Hornacek knows basketball. He knows offense. And for a guy who knows offense... It speaks to his character that he sacrificed his system this entire year just so he can focus on the defensive end of the floor. If anyone watched those Suns teams, all this time, oh, Jeff Hornacek doesn't know how to set up off-ball screens. He doesn't know how to set up any offense. He doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, really? So since he was in Phoenix about two years ago, he forgot how to run an offense when he ran one of the most entertaining offenses in the NBA with some personnel that vastly overachieved. Gerald Green, Miles Plumley. Really? You actually believe that? You can't separate yourself from your fandom and realize that this guy's running a defense that's better than anybody expected it to be? A defense that... You had veterans last year. Veterans last year. You had an all-NBA franchise player. You had a former MVP. And your team is better without both of them. Better without both of them. On both ends of the floor, really. The difference on offense is minuscule. The difference on defense is profound. That's what nobody's talking about. This team is better than last year's team with significantly less talent. I just, I don't get it. Fire him. Why do you wonder why James Dolan makes these irrational decisions? These win-now decisions? When all of you are talking about why aren't we winning right now in a rebuilding year? The Philadelphia 76ers rebuilt one way, and now suddenly everybody thinks that's the only way to rebuild. Teams have been rebuilding for decades, doing it successfully, winning championships because of their process. Golden State Warriors. And now we're looking at the Sixers and going, well, that's the only way. Really? Is that what Boston did? No. They built around their veterans. They got far. They got their young players in place who they could develop alongside the veterans so they could establish a winning culture, identify which young players actually fit that winning culture, the ones who didn't got traded for draft picks. The ones who did got extended. And now, they have one of the best teams in the league. There's no reason for the New York Knicks to just blow up the... Oh, they have more veterans than they do young players. No crap! Have you been watching this team these past few seasons? What are you watching? What are you paying attention to? What did you expect this team to do in one summer to make up for the fact that they had one of the oldest rosters in the NBA last season? 
Did you really think they could get rid of everybody? And quite frankly, why would you get rid of some of these guys? You don't think guys like Courtney Lee and Lance Thomas are good for the locker room? Defensive-minded guys, veteran leaders who everyone in that locker room respects? I just don't get it. I really don't. I'm frustrated by these losses. They're not fun to watch. They do put me in a bad mood. But what puts me in a worse mood is when people go on social media and scream, fire this guy, fire this guy, trade this guy, cut this guy. Oh, this guy was good in the G League. Maybe we should value him over the rookie we just drafted. Give it time. Be patient. I know that you're frustrated. I know it's been four years since they made the playoffs going on five. But you know what? They made the playoffs four times in 16 years. And they did that for one simple reason. It's not a curse. It's nothing to do with the young players not panning out. They made the playoffs four times in 16 seasons. Because the New York Knicks couldn't be patient. They couldn't let things play out. They couldn't let talent develop. They looked at a player at a young age and said, that's who you are, that's who you always will be, so we have to trade you now. They looked at a coach and said, well, inconsistency, the first sign of it, time to move on. Be patient. Let it develop. Let it play out. Look, if the New York Knicks finish the season and they're still blowing fourth quarter lead after fourth quarter lead, sure. But there's half of the season to go. And there are some appealing draft picks if this team keeps losing. There is a postseason where guys like KP and Frank and Hardaway will get invaluable experience and exposure. Because the reality is, everybody's acting like this team is so far behind, you already have Porzingis and Hardaway in place as franchise cornerstones. Two down. Three positions to go. Well, you drafted Frank, who at the very least looks like a high-level defender. And, as I said, never had strength and conditioning training a day in his life before he came to the NBA. Ennis Cantor or Billy Hernan Gomez, who knows? All I know is this. If you have KP and you have Hardaway, and if you strip away everything else and you're a skeptic about everything else, if you draft one high-level player in the draft this year, you now have a three-man core to move forward with, and now suddenly, Frank Nelikina has to do a whole lot less. The New York Knicks are in a better position than a vast majority of teams in the NBA. Because they have veterans who have trade value who they could potentially get a draft pick for. They have a franchise player. They have a point guard who has at least shown potential. They have a shooting guard who is proving night in, night out that he could be a valuable contributor to the system. And they have two centers in Cantor and Hernan Gomez, where at least one of them is a high-level six man, if not a starter. The Knicks are so much further ahead of the curve than fans are giving them credit for. It's crazy. 
But this season, since day one, has been about establishing the culture. And that culture needs to be defense. It needs to be hard work. So when Jeff Hornacek comes out and rips players after the game and goes, I don't know where our effort is. We're lackadaisical out there. We don't even care. Is that not the coach doing what you want the coach to do? The Knicks rank significantly better in almost every single defensive statistic than they did a year ago. Defending the three, yeah, it's still a flaw. I get that. But overall defense is strong. Now you add some athletes to the perimeter, some guys who are capable of closing out faster than the veterans, suddenly you're a better defensive team. It's a process. It's why the word exists. It's not overnight success. It's not overnight back in the playoffs. What the New York Knicks need to do is be patient, let this situation play out, and when it comes time to trade veterans, if that time comes and you can't be in the postseason picture, make sure you're trading for long-term assets. If they do that, then we see how it goes, we see how it develops. I don't know if Jeff Hornacek is the answer. I don't know if Frank Nelikin is the answer. I don't know if Kristaps Porzingis is a franchise player. I don't know if Tim Hardaway Jr. will stay healthy, or if Ennis Cantor will become a four-quarter player, or if Billy Hernan Gomez will ever play for the Knicks again. I don't know. All I know is that there is more long-term potential on this roster than the Knicks have had in about 30 years. Because it wasn't since they drafted Patrick Ewing and Mark Jackson that the Knicks actually created a long-term future for themselves. And oh yeah, they even traded Mark Jackson. Be patient. Stop overreacting. Let it play out. For the first time in a long time, the New York Knicks have a long-term future. And firing this guy and cutting that guy and benching this guy and firing him and trading him and cutting him. Enough! It's not going to be fun to take these losses. But it's games like today against the Nets where the Knicks can show their character. And these are the games that matter more than if we upset Anthony Davis when he scores 48 points. If the New York Knicks establish the culture and they establish defense as a top priority, which they've done for most of the season, and one game against Anthony Davis doesn't change that, They're in a better place than they've been in a long, long time.